0: I'm so excited you're here tonight. We Will remain standing in honor of God's word as we read from the beginning of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Listen now to the word of God. Here's what it says. It says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now we'll stop right there and have a seat. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Like Stephen is leaving, like a thief. <laughs> you know uh, this passage in the next few verses. What we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about when Christ His return. Now, if you weren't here last week, we talked about what's called the rapture, the taking up of God's people, and, 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 and how these fit together. Some of that will become maybe a little clearer tonight, but we actually, we unraveled this whole package when we talked through the Apostles' Creed this last year. And so I, I want to encourage you, those who, who are interested, on our YouTube, we've got those messages about Jesus' return, they're actually there laid out really clearly. I'm going to focus on some other aspects than, than the timeline tonight, but, but let me set some things up for you. Now, most of you guys know we, we've got three kiddos, and in the spring, we play a lot of baseball and softball. Each of our kids play, and actually Susan today, she was like, why are kids playing baseball in the fall? But right now, we're, we're actually, we just finished one team's fall ball league. Today was the last day. It's always bittersweet, but it's like, oh, Thank the Lord it's, it's over. Like I get to coach one team, my other son, he's playing through the end of October, but it is, it is a thing to behold when you got two or three kids playing a sports and two or three kids going different directions every weekend because you know, you know all the things that need to be prepared for them to go play. I mean, our kids, they are not like first-year players. Some of them, I mean, Jade has been playing for like 10 years. He knows to have his cleats and his water and his gear bag and his snacks, and he has to have his uniform and his hat and all the other little things that go with it. I I see some people nodding. Like, I I know what this is like. Each of our kids know this, but it's like every day there's a game. All of these things cannot be remembered. (laughs) right? Every day there's a game. It is amazing how two hours beforehand, you take any of the kids, two hours beforehand, say, do you got all your gear? Oh, yeah, I got it all. I'm totally ready, right? And then you get 10 minutes before you have to leave, and you start going down the list. Well, where's your hat? Um, I think it's in my bag. Where are your cleats? My what? (laughs) And then you get to the field and say, where's your water bottle? Uh... It's amazing how hard it is to prepare for game day. I mean, it, it's 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 interesting. And here's the deal: our kids, they know that game day is coming. They know that game time is coming. They know they need to be prepared. And yet, so many other things get their attention. And if I'm on some, so many other things get my attention. I can be scrambling just as much as them. But but we're not talking about a baseball game today. Oh, we could. We could sit here all night, right? Anybody watch the Mariners last night? Oh, my heart. <laughs> what are we talking about tonight? We're, we're talking about the end. See, see, just like game time is coming, and so a ball player needs to be prepared, listen very carefully. The end is coming. And you and I, we are, we are called to be... Prepared. You know the driving message of tonight's text? The, the one laser focus, the one big takeaway, the one thing that I want clear in your mind more than anything else. You can forget about my kids' baseball. You can forget about any other story I tell. The one thing this text drives home into our mind is simple. You and I, we must be prepared for the end. We must be prepared for the end. Uh, Are you ready for Christ to come, look at what the text says, like a thief in the night? Would you be caught off guard completely at the return of Jesus Christ? Let me ask you, do you even know, have you considered how do you prepare for the end? You know, one of the things that's really uh, popular I, I wouldn't say popular. maybe maybe "wise is is, I, I, is is prepping. You guys know what a prepper is? A prepper is someone that they've got all their supplies ready. If they've got to, if they've got to kind of head out into the woods because everything in America goes crazy, or they're prepared to to be in their house for a long period of time without electricity or without you know food at the grocery stores or without running water. This idea of prepping, there's a lot of wisdom to that. And so today, as I was reviewing my notes, I, I started texting some of my friends that I know, that they're preppers, right? And it's amazing some of the answers I got. I, I got. Very similar answers, things that you would expect, things like you need to be prepared for this much food, you need to be prepared for water, things like clothing or shelter. They say, you know, some of them were getting concerned about me. They're like, Mike, make sure you got an ax, make sure you got a fire starter, make sure you have a plan. One of them, God bless him, I don't know if he knows me very well, he said, Mike, make sure you have a Bible. (laughs) I'll, I'll put that on my list, bud. All of these guys have a list. All of these guys are prepared. They're prepared for maybe some earthly issue that happens. But but let me press the question to you Are you prepared for the end? Do you have your checklist? Do you know the things that you should have in order, simply put, even if it's just in the way you think, when it comes to the end times? See, I think the next few verses tonight, they kind of give us a prepper's checklist. They give us some do's and some don'ts as we think about, as we consider, as we prepare for Jesus' return. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to, I want to kind of provide for you this list. I want to give you your preppers list for the end. And, and you know, I kind of joked around, I've got six points tonight. I, I, I'm probably going to do three <laughs> as I look through it. We, we, might, we might put a plug in it halfway through and, and return to this next week because these are important points. We'll see how quickly I go. But, but if you'll follow along with me, turn to First Thessalonians chapter five. Here's, here's the first item on your list per se. Very first thing is do not obsess over the end's timing. You ever know anyone that obsesses over the end's timing? I mean, we have these caricatures in our mind from cartoons, or maybe even people we've seen that have the A-frame cut out on their chest, and it simply says, the end is near, right? And, and they they have all their timelines. I've known people that have done the numerology and tried to count days or numbers and all those things, and I know when Jesus is coming back, I know when the end's gonna happen, and they end up obsessing about the end. See, I think Paul he had already taught this church, the Thessalonians. he had already taught. Taught them enough that they knew not to do this. Let me show you what I mean. Verses one and two. He says, now concerning the times and the seasons. These are measurable times and immeasurable times. Specific amount of times and unspecified amounts of time. He said, now concerning the times and the seasons. Brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, if you're reading this and you were with us last week or, or you remember the previous verses, the previous verses, Paul is clarifying for the Thessalonians. He's clarifying in their mind some confusion they had about the end. And so it almost seems like there's something that doesn't, doesn't quite, it's not congruous here because last chapter he was saying, hey, let me tell you about the end because you, I don't want you to be ignorant. and this chapter he says, you have no need for anyone to write to you about these things because you, you are fully aware or you fully know. And so the question is, which one is it, right? Does that seem a little odd to you? Well, likely here's what's going on. They understood one thing clearly. The one thing they understood clearly is the point of this passage that Jesus is going to return like a thief in the night. They knew that was going to happen. They had a front and center in their mind. They didn't have a doubt about that. What they had a problem with last week is they had brothers and sisters in Christ who had died and they were worried about what was going to happen to them. The issue isn't that they, they were unsure if Christ was coming. The issue is, remember last week, they were concerned about those who had died. And their, their questions were probably something like, what happens to those who have already died when it comes to Jesus' return? Are they going to be left out? Are they going to miss out? Or are they going to be left behind? Now, I don't have time to review all that. Go listen last week if you want to. But but they had no need to have anything re- written to them concerning Christ the return of christ this big idea see their focus was not on the time the exact date their focus wasn't on the year or the month they knew that they didn't know that they knew i think that they they didn't should not expect to know that what they knew clearly is that jesus was coming that's what they knew clearly and and here's the deal I think that needs to be the same perspective for us. Now I recognize we're living in crazy days. Uh, It's not hard to try to connect dots and say, well, this is happening in the world and this is happening in the world and this is happening in the world and this country is doing this and this country is doing this. And I'm telling you, you can connect those dots. You can have all of your strings attached to all these different places and you can build a really good case case that, that Jesus is coming back soon. Because he probably is. But it's not for you to know the time and the season. It's not for you to know the exact moment or the exact day or even the exact year. See, what you and I must remember is that he's coming soon. And that's it. That's it. Don't obsess over when. What happens when people obsess over When? I think when people obsess over over when, my observation is is it causes some to live in fear. They go beyond prepping and they go into hoarding or they go into isolation. They're so fearful of the end or what might transpire that that they isolate and they bunker up and they're like a turtle with its head in the shell. And you know what? They make zero impact for the sake of Jesus Christ. They just... They live in their little hole, and they don't care for other people, and they don't risk anything, and they don't actually love other people because they're trapped in their fear of the end. See, some people live in fear, right? Some people, they they live kind of trapped in fear. Others, they they don't live in fear. Others, they live out of touch, (laughs) This is probably more the person with the A-frame sign or the the picket sign that says the end is near. I remember some of those folks when I was in my undergrad at UW. When I was in my undergrad at UW, there there would be people that would come and they would have those signs, the end is near. And their, their goal, I think in their mind, was to win people to Christ, but it was amazing that the only thing they did was push people further away. They lived completely out of touch. Now, there are some that do it well, there are some that share grace and truth, but, but, but in my mind, I think about some who they obsess over the end in such a way that they become out of touch. They can't build a relationship with anyone. They can't have a conversation with anyone. They don't know how to love anyone. Their obsession consumes them. And Paul says, you have no need for, people, for me to write to you about times and seasons. You are fully aware of the one key truth. What is that one key truth? He's coming back. He's, he's coming back. So, so on your list, point number one, do not obsess over the end. Is that you? No, I haven't seen any of you guys with the A-frame on, on your, walking around with that. I, I, maybe I have. I don't know. But maybe point number two is more like us. I, I actually think point number two is probably the, the bigger item on our list that we need to consider. The second item, is we, as we prepare ourselves for the end, is, is to do not overlook the end's reality. Do not overlook the end's reality. See, first of all, you don't, over, uh, uh, you don't obsess over the end. But then secondly, don't overlook the reality that it's happening. Look at verse three with me. It says, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Here's what he says. He says, you don't have reason to be written to or or, or instructions because you know Jesus is coming. But he says, you know Jesus is coming, but other people, what are they saying? Peace, security, everything is just fine. And then the end will come like labor pains for a pregnant woman. You know, I remember the night when uh, my wife and I, we were driving to a Christmas party for our church it was it was December 11th or, or in the afternoon late late or late afternoon uh, almost the evening and uh, in our church we were having just a, a giant Christmas party and it was the kind of party where everyone dressed up really nice we tried to kind of make it a classy deal it was really fun way back then I was a maybe a youth intern or a youth pastor I don't even remember but uh but we were driving there and my wife was nine months pregnant And this was a party we had done every year for years, and it was something we looked forward to every year. It was just such a wonderful celebration with people we love so dearly. And as we're almost to the location for the church building, my wife, she says, "Uh, we need to go a different direction. (laughs) And we ended up in the hospital that night, and we ended up with a child that night. And it came upon suddenly... I was driving. I was thinking peace and eggnog. I mean, peace and security, right? I I was ready for the party. I was ready for a great time. I was ready for all of the food and all of the comforts and all of the laughing and all of the carols and everything that came along with it. But then suddenly the labor pains came. This is the image Jesus uses here. This is, Jesus says, there are people that are going to just live their lives overlooking the end. In fact, Jesus says very similar things. Luke 17, verses 24 through 32. It's a a bit of a longer passage. Listen to Jesus speaking here. He says, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. On the day of the Lord, when Christ returns, Not in the rapture, not in the rapturing and the taking up of God's people. No, no, this is talking about when Jesus comes in judgment. It it continues. It says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He's talking about his crucifixion. He says, I'm going to rule and reign, but but first I'm going to suffer. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of... Of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the son of man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is is in the field not turn back. And then it says this remember Lot's wife. These are Jesus' words. He's speaking about when he comes, the day of the Lord. This term, the day of the Lord, it's the term that the Old Testament prophets use in relationship to to the return or or the coming of God to judge and to make right all of the evils. Jesus uses this, and he doesn't simply say the day of the Lord. He says the day of the Son of Man. He says my day, the day of Jesus. Other places in scripture, it calls it the day of the Lord Jesus or the day of Jesus Christ. All of them are referring to one thing, the reckoning that the world has as it stands before God king jesus the reckoning and and the amazing thing is jesus and paul their words line up here he says and many people are overlooking this reality they're overlooking this reality you see to overlook is to be preoccupied with this world let me sit here for a moment When you overlook the reality of Jesus' return, it means that you are preoccupied with this world. Look at what these people say. They say, peace and security. They're marrying and and being given in marriage. They're eating, they're buying, they're selling, they're planting, they're building. Now stop, are any of those things bad? No. You, You should do all of those things. Like This isn't saying don't go home and eat, right? You should eat. You you should celebrate. You you should recognize that there is a goodness in this world that God has given us. He has blessed us. But but here's the problem. The problem is when you become preoccupied and you say peace and security. Or let me translate that into modern day language. It's all good. It's all good. There's no problem. This is to become preoccupied. It's, It's you give your total attention to the good that God has given in this world. It's, it's when your, your heart, mind, and soul are wrapped up not in the things of God, but, but in the things of this world. It's to say, you know what, I've got such a great family. I love my family. I just want to hang out with my family. If that's you, God bless you. But, but what happens if we become just so focused on our family? Say, that's really about my family, not about God. So, you know, I, I got such a great job. I love my job. It's fun. They pay me well. I'm doing, I'm doing things that I'm gifted to do. I'm doing things that I have ability to do. It's a great job. I love the hours. I love the vacation. I got all these things. It's really easy. It's really easy to get preoccupied with, with our work. Some might say the opposite. I hate my job. I hate the hours. I hate the people. I hate the work but you're equally preoccupied with all of your attention aimed at this. You say, maybe, maybe not I got a great family and maybe not I got a great job. Maybe you say, you know what, I, I've got great entertainment. <laughs> Even if my job's terrible, I can go home and I can turn on the game every night. Even if my family's rough, I can go home and I can put my headphones on and I can play my video games every night. I've got great entertainment in the books that I read or, or whatever it is that I'm pursuing, the hobbies, the sports. I've got great entertainment. It's all good. Peace and security. Now listen, the good things in life are good things and God is a good God and he gives good gifts. I hope you have the gift of a good family and the gift of a good job. I hope you have the gift of good entertainment and good hobbies and, and all of that. But, but listen, Are you you preoccupied with those? Do you find that they fill your mind and they grab your attention, that they captivate your heart and your affections? Are are the good gifts of God becoming more important than the good God himself? When that happens... When that happens, you start to say peace and security. When that happens, you start to live your life and you overlook the reality that the end is coming. To overlook is to be preoccupied with the world. Also, though, to overlook is to forget that Christ's return is imminent. To overlook is to forget that Christ's return is imminent. Jesus says that he's coming like a thief. Now, l- let me ask you, uh, does, does a thief, if they're gonna break into your house, do they do they call you and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm thinking about coming by about 1.30 in the morning. Is that, is that a good time for you? Is, is your calendar open that night? I, I just wanna come through. I'll be in there for a couple hours and I'll leave and no problem, right? Is, is that what a thief does? Do they do they schedule their thievery with you? Do they schedule their burglary with you? No, no. If you've ever been, if you've ever been, ro- if you've ever been, uh, yeah, robbed or broken into, you know that. I remember in high school the one night I didn't lock my truck, and and finding this brick that someone gifted me on my seat when I came out that next morning. See, a thief doesn't schedule. They come when you're not expecting it whatsoever. Jesus actually describes this. He uses two Old Testament stories to describe this. One is the story of Noah. The other is the story of Lot. Look at these two stories. The story of Noah. God says, I am going to, I am going to flood the earth. And so Noah, you've never seen a flood before, but I want you to build an ark and, and I want you to do it just to these specifications. And as Noah does this, and as Noah warns, the world around him. The end is near. No one listens. Everyone's preoccupied. The, they're eating and they're drinking. They're feasting. They're partying. They're, they're preoccupied with the things of the world. And so they overlook the, the end is near. He uses the example of Lot. Lot was in a very wicked city. And in that wicked city, they were, they were living the good life, doing whatever it is that they wanted until they did not anymore because the end came like a thief in the night. And even Lot's wife looks back and perishes. You see, to, to overlook... To overlook is simply to forget that Jesus' return is imminent. That word imminent maybe is not a familiar word. We don't use it all the time, but here's what it means. It means it can happen in any moment. Jesus can return right now. He can return tonight while you're asleep. He can return at any moment. His return is imminent. Now, now how does this work with what we talked about last week in the rapture? In my mind, these these happen virtually simultaneously. The the church is raptured and rescued, and, and right after that, Jesus' return happens as he comes to begin his judgment upon those who have rebelled, who are not in Christ. That's, that's at least one way of looking at it. That's not the only way you have to, but that, that's what makes the most sense to me. But but here's the point. He's coming, and he can come at any moment. See, to overlook, to overlook is to be preoccupied with this world. To overlook is to forget that Christ's return is imminent. And, and, and finally, to overlook is to forget destruction. It's to forget that destruction is real. Look at those last words in their text. It says, they will not escape. They will not escape. Paul says that their, their destruction, it is certain. And this is, church, this is a very sobering text. This is very sobering as we, as we interact with our coworkers, as we interact with family members, as we love people who maybe have yet to hear the, about the news about Christ, he, he, here's the point this is making. It says that in that moment, that there is no escape from the judgment. In that moment, there is no escape from the destruction. And it uses this, this ominous word, they. Who, who, who do you think the they is that this is speaking of? Do you ever read a text like this and stop and say they? You ever wonder, am I one of they? Is this is this talking about me? See, I, I think we need to go a little bit further in our text to answer that question. who, who is they? See, when when we when we look at this, we, we first of all say, don't. Don't obsess over the timing. But secondly, don't, don't overlook that the end is coming. But, but here's your third item on this list. If you remember these do not, your third item is very simple. It's then to remember who you are. Remember who you are. It's almost like Paul anticipates the question, am I one of they, when he writes verses 4 and 5. Look with me in verses 4 and 5. It says, but you, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Let me read that again. Notice his language. Notice his imagery. Notice these words. Notice how many times he uses this idea of light. And notice the contrast. How many times he uses this word darkness or dark or night. He says, but you are not in Darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Now, remember, Paul, he's writing to people he knows. He's not just writing to random people he's never met. He is writing to people that he spent at least three weeks with them. If, if you count the Sabbath that he was there, three Sabbaths, three weekends, and then maybe he was there a little early and a little late, so maybe a little bit more than the three weeks. He spent that time with them, and remember what he did. He explained to them, and he reasoned with them, and he proved to them that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the one who who died to pay the price for their sins was buried and resurrected. Paul knew these people believed this. He looked in their eyes as they, as they said, I am going to put my trust in Jesus. He recognized that they had a, a genuine conversion. These people were saved. And so when he writes to them, he says, I know you. I know your faith. I know that you are not, you're not they. You're not those who are going to face destruction. He says, you, you're a child of light. See, this is your identity. Your identity is as a child of light. Now, he's using metaphor here. When he speaks of metaphor, of light or of day, I want you to recognize what he's talking about. He's talking about the realm of everything that is good and righteous. And that has the knowledge and the love of God. When he says light, he's talking about walking in the light. He's talking about walking in Christ. He says, You, you now live, you belong to the spiritual realm of the things of God. He says, This is who you are. You are a child of light. He says your identity is a child, is of a child, is as a child of light. But you need to recognize your old identity. Your old identity was of darkness. You weren't born as a child of light. You became a child of light. Now, this idea of darkness or night, this is the realm of unbelief, not belief, This this is the realm of sinfulness, not faith, not holiness, not righteousness. This is the realm of ignorance of the things of God at best and rebellion against the things of God at worst. Now, everyone in this room, you, you are either a child of light who used to be a child of darkness Or you're a child of darkness. And because you're here tonight, you're being invited to become a child of light. The question is how? How do you become a child of light? How do you know you're a child of light? All of that rests on on one truth. The truth of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Where do you stand in relationship to Jesus See, some, sometimes we, we come and we, we, we're part of a church and we love the church and we love the people. And we love the, the potlucks when we have them. And we love the laughter and all the fun times, right? But as but Jesus guy, we just kind of, we want to keep him like a, a, an arm distance away. Like just, uh, Jesus can stay over there and I'll stay over here and I'll, I'll be part of the things of church. Is that where you stand in relationship with Jesus? Some people, they come to church kind of because they have to. Some of you teenagers in the room, this might be where you are. Mom and dad go and I go. Especially teenagers because, you know what, you're this, this stage where you have to make your faith your own. You have to start to wrestle with the, the question, what do I think about Jesus? Do I actually believe him or not? And wrestling with those questions are good because it leads you hopefully in faith, but, but, but you can't have your parents' faith and like just have it inherited. You have to trust so some are in this room, and, and, and maybe we're not even sure how we got here. We're here for what, what, some random reason. The question for you is, where do you stand in relationship with Christ? And some in this room, you have great confidence. You stand in relationship with Christ because you have trusted, not that you're good enough, not that you try hard, not that you do better than someone else, But you've trusted that Jesus is exactly who the Scripture says he is, and that Jesus did exactly what the Scripture says he did. Who who, who does the Scripture say that Jesus is? The Scripture says that Jesus is the perfect, sinless Son of God. That he existed for all eternity, and then out of his great love for us, he came, and he was born, and he lived a perfect life. And and you know why he did this? Because you didn't. (laughs) Because I didn't. He he came, and he lived a perfect life, even though I lived a, a sinful life even though I lived a rebellious life, even though I lived a hateful or vengeful or greedy or lustful or selfish or or sinful life. And Jesus says, all of the evil that you've done, all of the wrong you've done, whether word or action or even in your heart, says you now stand condemned, Mike. You now have to pay the ultimate price and a forever eternal death. She says, but but I love you. She says, but I love you so much that I'm willing to go to that cross and I'm willing to pay the price for all of your rebellion, for all of your dirt. I'm not going to leave one speck unpaid for. And that's exactly what he did. He paid the price for all of your sin and all of mine. He was buried, and on the third day, by the power of God, he was resurrected from the grave. And the scripture says very clearly that if you believe that's true, that he was perfect, that he died for you, and that he was resurrected, you now stand in relationship with Christ as now a child of light. The book of John says you're, you're born not of flesh or not of blood or not of man, but born of God. The scripture says that this is your rebirth. This is your new life. So you used to be a child of darkness. Now you're a child of light. You used to be a child where your life was aimed not at good things, but at selfish things, where your life was led along saying, how can I get the most out of life for me? And now, now you say, because of what Christ has done, now I live to honor him and to please him. Your identity is determined by your relationship to Christ. If you are in Christ, you are a child of light. But if you're not yet in Christ, if you're a child of darkness, let me just recognize something. We don't share these things to point fingers. As a pastor, I don't get like uh, I don't get my my kicks by coming up here and pointing at you and saying, you know what, you're a dirty sinner. The reason we do this is because one day someone did that for me. They said, You're a dirty sinner, but you know what? You can be saved. You can be washed. You can be cleansed. You can have a brand new start. You can be made new. Simply trust and turn to Christ. Now stop walking as a child of darkness and instead walk as a child of light. You understand, the only way you can be prepared for the return of Christ, the only way you can be prepared for the return of Christ is if you're a child of light. That's it. That's the only way. So, so let me ask you. Let me ask you. We, we've looked tonight at the first three items on our list, and we'll return to the next three next week. But but let me ask you for a moment. Just maybe put your pencil down. Maybe close your eyes for just this moment. And let me ask you, where are you, where your posture is, in relationship to the end. Maybe you're someone who's obsessing over it right now. You. you you may not be holding the sign that says the end is near, but but if I go look at your Facebook profile, it sure looks like you're holding that sign. Maybe you're all wrapped up over the politics of our day and age. Maybe you see COVID as as a great sign of the end, or you see the way that the nations are, are moving and acting. You see you see that the end is near, and you are obsessing over it. If that's you, would you would you would you ease up a little bit? Not not ignore the end, but would you say, God, I'm gonna trust that Christ is gonna return at the exact right time. And I'm not gonna let this I'm not gonna let this make me live in fear, and I'm not gonna let this make me live out of touch with everyone else. Would you take this moment and just return to being a person that that cares for others? Or maybe you're you're here tonight. And you're the person that says, I, I'm living in a way that's overlooking the end. Maybe if I looked at your social media profile, it would say something that looks like peace and security. Look at how great life is. Look at how happy I am with the things of this world. Maybe you're overlooking the end and you're preoccupied with all the things of earth. You're forgetting that Jesus can return any minute and you're forgetting that there is a real destruction for those outside of Christ. If you sense even a little bit of that in your heart tonight, let me me turn your attention not just to Jesus' return. Let me turn your attention to your loved ones who are outside of Christ. Last week, Andrew asked us to pray for those who who don't know Jesus that, that are part of our life. Would you get their face just clear in your mind, maybe one or two people, there's maybe nothing greater that you can do than begin to pray for this person every day. There's probably no greater service you can do for them than to begin to ask them about their spiritual life. There's maybe no greater gift you can give this person than maybe simply inviting them to a church service where they can hear how loved they are in Jesus Christ and what he's done Will you simply turn your your life away from saying peace and security and instead turn your life towards saying trust in Jesus? And finally, let let me ask you to consider that third item on your list. What is your identity? Are you here tonight and you are secure knowing that you're a child of light, that you are in Christ, and that you have faith? If that's you, praise God. But maybe you're here tonight and you're uncertain. Or maybe you're here tonight and you know you've never trusted Jesus. Can I just ask you right now in this moment, would you turn toward Christ? Would you be willing to humble yourself and say, you know what, trying to do this on my own, my way, it's just not working out. Will you, not by self-will or not by trying harder, will you, by faith, will you turn to Jesus and believe that he actually loves you? Believe that he actually died for you and believe that he truly rose from the grave. Now, if that's you, I just want to invite you after service. I would love to know that you made that decision. I would love to know if God's working in your heart and mind in that way. Don't don't leave here without just taking a moment saying, hey, Pastor Mike, can I tell you what God's doing? And and if you're struggling to make that choice, if that's something you're not quite ready to do, I I would also like to talk to you. I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to maybe answer any questions you might have. And with that said, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we begin to unravel the end as we begin to think about what it looks like to be prepared for the end god we just ask for your help these can be concepts that are scary and troubling that cause us to live in fear these can be ideas that that because they're so weighty we just choose to ignore them altogether. But Father, I pray that you would be working in our hearts and minds tonight, every one of us, preparing us, helping us to be ready for the end in real ways. God, I pray you would ready us in in helping us to ease our fear. I pray you would ready us in helping us to face the reality that the end is coming. And more importantly, Father, I pray you would ready us by securing every one of us in our identity in Christ as those who trust in him. And Father, we pray this in his name. Amen.